impossible. Impossible is a grim word. It is a bleak word. It is cold in its absolute certainty. Some will say, this cannot be done. It is impossible. It might be our most hopeless word. Can you think of a more hopeless word than impossible? Because impossible takes your hopes, it takes your dreams, and and it puts them right out there beyond the reach of your fingertips, just beyond the realm of possibility. It's also a soul-crushing word. I'm sorry, ma'am, the the tumor is positioned in a way where we just can't reach it. I'm afraid the surgery is impossible. The worst thing about the word impossible is that it it often produces in us a a resignation. It produces in us a a sense of of resignation that our hopeless circumstances, that they are what they are. There's no changing that. We just sort of resign ourselves to, to that condition. And so impossible becomes this word that is devoid of, of hope. It drains us of all of our joy. And it casts our world in, in darkness. But the story of the scriptures declares this truth. The story of the scriptures declares that with God, nothing is impossible. Would you say that with me? With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing, according to the scriptures, is ever beyond his fingertips. Our God doesn't know the word impossible. It's not in his vocabulary. He knows no impossible. You see, not only is impossible a a grim word, a bleak word, but it is also a, a godless word. But the scriptures point us to A God who knows no impossibility. The scriptures point us to a God who is a God of unlimited power. And as a God of unlimited power, he is also a God of unlimited potential. Which means that there is nothing that is beyond the reach of his fingertips. That he doesn't use language like impossible. With God there is only what is possible. And this is the story that we find told in the Bible. And if if this is true of of God, then then our question today would be, when is the last time that we were in awe of God's power to do the impossible? Can you remember a time, is there a time in your life when you thought the circumstances were just impossible Beyond redemption, there is no hope here, only to have God surprise you by breaking through that darkness, and you you realize that there is nothing beyond the reach of his fingertips. When was the last time God did something you thought was impossible in your life? And if you can remember a time like that, and I hope you can, I'd like to ask you a second question, and that is, when God did the the truly impossible thing in your life, how did you respond? How did you respond when God did the impossible? I'm willing to bet 
that you responded in the only way we know how. And that is by giving God glory. I'm willing to bet you responded by hitting your knees, bowing your head, worshiping and praising the God who is the God of the glorious impossible. When the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, uh, the scriptures tell us that the Lord went ahead of them in a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he led them out to the coast of the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army decided to pursue them there. And And the children of Israel were hemmed in. They thought their circumstances were impossible. They could see no way through these circumstances because on one hand was the water and on the other hand was the pursuing army of Pharaoh. So the children of Israel began to complain to Moses and they said, was it because there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? It would have been better had we just stayed put. But the Lord says this in Exodus. He says, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army and Egypt will know that I am the Lord and so God did the impossible he commanded Moses to raise his staff to lift his arms out over the water and that as he did so that that his hand would actually would divide the waters that God would create a path that he would create a possibility where there had only been impossibility just a few moments before and the Bible goes on to say that that pillar of cloud then moved between the children of Israel and the pursuing army of Pharaoh and it says that throughout the night this cloud brought darkness to the one side and yet it brought light to the other side so that the two neither went near the other and we can picture this scene where again Moses stands and and he lifts his arms and and, and the, the scripture says that the Lord sent this strong east wind and it parted the waters and that the children of Israel crossed over on on dry ground meanwhile the the pursuing army of Pharaoh is, is blinded by darkness. But the children of Israel, their path is illuminated. It's night on one side of this pillar, and yet it is day on the other side. And the children of Israel cross through on dry ground with a wall of water to their right and to their left. All of which is impossible, but not for God. And in the wake of this mighty act of deliverance, when God does the impossible, the children of Israel and Moses, they respond by singing this song recorded in Exodus 15. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. And who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness and awesome in glory, working wonders? In your unfailing love, You will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And God accomplishes 
the impossible, we respond by hitting our knees and praising him. When we realize God's tremendous power, we're immediately reminded of just how weak we are. When we come in contact with the, the greatness of God, when we just glimpse a little bit of his glory and his greatness, we can't help but feel really, really small. And I think the natural response when we realize how great God is and how small we are, the natural response is to worship. The natural response is to give him glory. And so when God transcends the laws of nature and physics and delivers Israel, what do they do? They worship him and they say who is like our God he is majestic in holiness he is awesome in glory and nothing is impossible for our God for he makes glorious the impossible and a similar story is repeated in Luke's gospel it's the story that our, our brother Jason just read for us a moment ago from Luke 1 and in many respects the details are, are, are different there's no pursuing army there's no pillar of cloud pillar of fire but at the same time it's the same story. It's at the macro level. It's the same kind of story. It's the story of God doing something impossible and receiving praise, receiving glory on the backside of these wonderful, wonderful acts. And so there in Luke 1, the angel Gabriel comes to visit Nazareth. He's dispatched to this little nowhere town in Galilee. Nazareth, at the time that Gabriel appears to Mary, Scholars estimate that the, the population in Nazareth probably was around 1,500 people. 1,500. This is a small little place that is so far removed from the power structure of Jerusalem where all the religious power brokers are, are doing their thing. It is so far removed from the power structure of Rome and all that is happening there. But it is in this small little backwater town that the power of God is about to be experienced in a way like never before. And so Gabriel appears to a virgin named Mary who is betrothed to a man named Joseph. And Jewish engagement happened typically in these two, there were these two stages. The first was, was the betrothal period, the engagement where there was a contract and the groom would come and, and pay a dowry to the bride's family. And what followed was typically about a year of engagement. And about a, a year after all of that happened, then the wedding would take place. And so you find Mary in waiting she's in between these two momentous events in her lives in her life and and she is although the text doesn't say in all likelihood she is probably if she's an average girl who's during this period of betrothal she's probably around the age of 12 or 13 years old and great gabriel appears to her and he says to her do not be afraid mary for you have found favor with god and you will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Gabriel's language is very clear. This child is God's long-awaited, long-promised Messiah, the Anointed One, that all of those prophets anticipated. He is finally coming. He's coming into the world. And Gabriel says to Mary, it will be through you that God will choose to do this glorious, wonderful thing. Indeed, Gabriel is right. Mary has found favor with God. But Mary is confused by this. 
she's puzzled because she says, how will this be? I'm still a virgin. How can I give birth to the Messiah? Don't you know, I'm not, I'm not married yet. Did you come to the right person? Are you sure you got that memo addressed to the right girl? Because this is not just unlikely. It's, it's not even just improbable. For Mary, this news is, you guessed it, it's impossible. And the angel testifies that this conception will be the work of the Holy Spirit, that Mary will give birth to the Son of God. And Gabriel goes on to say that God is at work in Mary's relative, Miss Elizabeth, who is finally pregnant after decades. She's pregnant. And, and Gabriel says here that Mary is going to be carrying Jesus, but Elizabeth will be carrying John. Mary will give birth to the Messiah, but Elizabeth will give birth to the forerunner of the Messiah. And these two pregnancies, they are parallel, and yet they contrast one another. You have the old woman and the young virgin, and both of them are impossibly yet gloriously pregnant. And the older woman will give birth to a child who will bring to an end the old era of the prophets. Meanwhile, the young virgin will give birth to this child who will usher in a new era, the era of the new covenant we participate in even now. And Gabriel makes this statement here that centers us today. He says, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary, I understand your question, and I understand that this doesn't quite compute, but trust me, nothing is impossible with God. In fact, he seems to delight in making possibility where we only see impossibility. It's, it's kind of his thing. It's just what he has always done. And Mary's response is so beautiful. She responds by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. And this is a delicate point. But it's important. It's really important that we hear this word clearly. Mary consents to the task at hand. Mary agrees to play a part in this glorious moment. Very important to, to note that her response implies that, that she had a choice in the matter. And the way Luke carefully tells this story indicates that Mary needed to give her consent before all of this would begin. And that is consistent with the character of a God who does not force himself upon us without our consent. Are you following me? In 2017, this is an important point to make as we read this text. Not only does Mary give consent, not only does she resp respond with, with her consent to this, she responds with praise. She responds in worship. Once again, when God transcends our expectation and does something glorious, something gloriously impossible, I think the only thing we can do is hit our knees and respond in worship. 
And after she visits with her cousin Elizabeth and she gets her head wrapped around all that is happening, all that God is doing here, she, like Moses and the children of Israel before her, she responds by singing a song. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary gives glory to God, singing, my soul glorifies the Lord. This is another way of saying, my soul makes great what God has done. Some translations say, my soul magnifies the Lord. And what's happened here is Mary has apprehended just a small glimpse of God's greatness. She's witnessed just a little bit of his glory, and her response is to turn and to give him glory, to glorify God. And and that's our good news word for today. All month long, as we center our, our thoughts on what God's word has to say to us, we find these words that give us hope, that give us joy, these words of good news that come to us directly in the word of God. And today, this word is the word of glory. As a God of unlimited power, our God is a God of unlimited possibility. And when God does the impossible, we catch just a little glimpse of his glory. And Mary responds, and Moses and Israel respond, and we respond by giving him glory. For nothing is impossible for God. And she goes on to sing, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And the word Luke uses here is a really interesting one. It's a compound word. He's uh, combining these, these words that mean very much and the verb that means to leap. So he's talking here about Mary's song and she's saying, I I just can't help it. My soul is glorifying and my spirit is is leaping. I'm doing spiritual jumping jacks. This is high five time, you know? This is fist pumping time. This is what God has done for me. This is the kind of joy that causes you to forget to use your inside voice. You're just so overwhelmed at what God has done that you can't help but sing his praises. And Luke says that's the kind of song that Mary is singing. I think about the way I worship sometimes. I think Mary could teach me a thing or two about rejoicing in God who brings salvation. Mary sings about this reversal of fortunes we've been talking about this month. And all of that language about God bringing down rulers and raising up the lowly and all of that that's in there, it's just a way of her being able to say that God is the God who, who reverses our fortunes, who brings salvation to us. He does what only God can do. And when you see God doing what only God can do, you respond in worship. With God, there is no impossible. And when he accomplishes the impossible in our lives, we respond in praise. Now, I'd like for us to take a moment here 
And I'd like for us to sing Mary's song. I'd like for us to sing an arrangement of these words that Mary has written, these words that, that came from Mary's heart, rather. Uh, in Latin, it's referred to often as the Magnificat, because in, in Latin, the first part of Mary's song recorded here, those words, Magnificat, are the first words recorded there. But I'd like for us today to, to sing these words that we've read about in the scriptures. But before we do, I'd like to ask you to reflect on, on your life. Now, I'd call to mind again the question that we asked a minute ago. So when have you seen God do something impossible? When have you seen God make a way when it seemed as if there was no path forward? Will you reflect on that for just a moment? It may have been a time when he made a, a, a way much like with Israel, and you could see no way forward. It, it may, have been, may have been a time where he answered a particular prayer in a way that you never expected. You were praying for one thing, but God did something that you never saw coming that you would have considered to be impossible. It may have been a time in your life when he gave you strength to overcome something that you know you're not strong enough to overcome and deal with on your own. Maybe you're like Mary. Maybe it had something to do with a child. Maybe like Israel, you really thought the end was near, only to have God surprise you by delivering you out of those circumstances. I would say if we look over our lives, if we take a moment and reflect, there are probably many circumstances that we could look at and, and point to as praiseworthy moments where God did something truly gloriously impossible in our lives and with that memory in your heart today i want to invite you to to listen we're going to hear an arrangement of this song some of you may know this if so feel free to sing along even as this video plays but i want you to hear for those of you who aren't familiar with this particular arrangement before we sing it i would like for you to hear this version of mary's song because it's, it's one of those beautiful arrangements that's sung in parts. And so it begins with the soprano part. And they're singing that line, my soul magnifies the Lord. And it's much like that song that we love to sing now, the greatest command. If you'll remember when we first learned that, it was one of those that it took us a little bit of time. We had to learn each part before we could really sing it with all of our hearts. But I'd like for you to hear this song. And then as soon as it's done, Lee will come and lead us in this song and in so doing we are praising the God who knows no impossibilities let's listen and then we'll sing together 